end of the Perimeter Church podcast. Some words we fear more than we admit, and probably say more than we admit. You're not doing it right. While there might be more than one way to accomplish a task, for many of us, there's only one right way to get it done. Lucky for us, God doesn't treat us that way. Steve Brown, founder of Key Life Network, brings us this message entitled, Getting It Right by Doing It Wrong, which covers Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Thank you for joining us today. I love coming to this place. You don't look or sound like Presbyterians, but you do smell like Jesus. And every time I come here, I sense his presence and the fact that he's doing something special in your midst. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence fully aware that it's insane that a finite being would stand before an infinite God. They told us if we were faithful, if we prayed, if we searched for you with all of our hearts, that you would accept us. And we tried. And Father, just as we were turning away with tears, we heard your voice. Welcome, child. Welcome. Father, you know every person in this place. You know the sleepless nights the demons that haunt at two in the morning, the fear we've named, the pain we felt. Come yourself. In this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandal feet. And as always, Father, we, we pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins, for they are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Not too long ago, I was preaching in a church that was pastored by a friend of mine. I go there often, and I go there for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons that I go is so that I can hear my friend's pastoral prayers. When he prays, it almost seems that he leaves us and goes before the throne. I can tell you how often, and I'm not going to tell you his name, I think you would know it. I can't tell you how often I've been moved to tears by listening to this man pray. We were having dinner on Saturday night and I said to him, Bill, and that's not his name. I said, Bill, tell me about your prayer life. 
he said, it stinks. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Can you identify with that? They think you pray. You're in church all the time. You may even be an officer or even ordained. But it really, at its very heart, isn't very good. Now, if you have a wonderful walk with Christ, if your prayer life works, you have my permission to sleep. You can daydream and you don't have to listen. But if you struggle like the rest of the honest people here, then I'm here to help because I'm ordained. If you have your Bible, turn it to the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read from the third chapter, and I'm going to begin. In fact, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, and then we're going to extrapolate some major truths that could change your life from the Scripture we checked. Starting at the 11th verse of the third chapter of Ephesians, Paul writes as follows. He's just been talking about the amazing gospel. And he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom, here it comes, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And then flip, if you will, over to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to read from the fourth chapter, a very familiar text, where the writer of Hebrews says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, and here it comes, with confidence, King James Version, with boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People are always saying they read the Psalms when they're down and out and depressed and it helps them sleep at night. Well, the book of Psalms in my Bible doesn't do that for me. If you're only reading the 23rd Psalm, maybe, but what about bashing the baby's heads against the rocks. You sleep okay after that? That doesn't sound very Christian. Do I not hate them with a perfect hatred? The book of Psalms is filled with whining and complaining, an obscene gesture to God. If you really love me, this wouldn't happen. How could this be happening to your covenant child? Read Dan Allender, my friend. And Tremper Longman, my friend, in their book, The Cry of the Soul. The book of Psalms are given so God's people know how to be free before the God of the universe. 
It is a book that gives you permission to express every emotion that is a part of your heart. And if you're angry, don't tell him you're not. And if you want to whine, whine. If you've really screwed it up, tell him so. Don't lie to him. The book of Psalms is a psalm of freedom, calling God's people to walk with the God of the universe. In Mark 14, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And listen to me, it wasn't the nails through his hands and feet. There have been people who have died more painful deaths than Jesus, but never one like his. There was a cosmic battle, the implications of which we can't even understand. The pain so profound, the lostness and the darkness so real. And Jesus prayed. And when he prayed, he didn't pray to the covenant God, Yahweh. He prayed to Abba, his daddy. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul gives us some really help in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Holy Spirit prays through us and cries out from us, Oh, Abba, Father, a term of endearment that we have seen and you know that could be translated as Daddy. And then in, a, in Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul teaches it again. When you pray, don't pray to our God in heaven, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Pray to your father who is your dad. Abba, father. Now listen up. I'm a man of prayer. I know you've heard preachers and missionaries tell you that all their lives but I really am. I was up way before you got up this morning because I'm a man of prayer, frankly. And I'm the most religious person in this room. <laughs> frankly, I couldn't do what I do if it weren't prepare for prayer. Now listen to me. Everything you thought right then when I said I was a man of prayer is wrong. You had all kinds of religious images. Maybe you pictured me as a monk in a monastery somewhere doing seasons of prayer, fasting until my stomach is reduced and my ribs show. Perhaps you thought of me as a godly man with dark circles under his eyes. and ain't true. I get up early, but I get up early because I get to spend time with the only one who will kick me, not kick me out no matter what I say. Sometimes I cuss and spit. Sometimes I grade God. Sometimes I express my hatred. Sometimes I am prostrate on the floor. Sometimes I dance and Presbyterians can't dance. Sometimes I come close to speaking in tongues. Sometimes, sometimes I play solitaire when he doesn't show and I'm irritated because he doesn't show. Whatever you thought when I said I'm a man of prayer isn't true. We'll talk about it. 
Let me, uh, let me go down one side road that is not unrelated to the other things that I'm going to teach you. Listen up. Narcissism and perfection or perfectionism are the devil's ugly sisters and they always reside in the same house. You say, say what? So I'm going to repeat it. Slower. For the slower among us. Narcissism and perfectionism are the devil's ugly sisters and they always reside in the same house. The Apostle John said this, if any man says that he sinneth not, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And then he goes further and says, if any man says that he sinneth not, he makes God into a liar. You're not perfectible. And your wife is not perfectible. And your husband is not perfectible. And your children are not perfectible. And you're not perfectible. Deal with it. The rules are killing us. And they kill Presbyterians more than anybody else I know because we do things decently and in order. Well, I'm not going to do them decently anymore and I'm not going to do them in order anymore. I'm going to do it wrong and that's the way I'm going to do it right. Philip Melanchthon was a very close, maybe the closest friend of Martin Luther during the Reformation. Melanchthon, and I wish I had time to introduce you to him because you probably wouldn't like him, but you would be impressed. Melanchthon was a theologian. He was a philosopher. He was a scientist, a physicist. He was also a doctor, and he was also the man who stayed with Luther in the really hard times. And this is what he said. He said, I would rather die than be separated from that man. Problem with guys like that, you don't want to have a beer with them. You don't want to go to a movie with them. I mean, they are so bright and so articulate and so good at what they do that they're quite intimidating. And it was intimidating to Martin Luther. And very few people intimidated Martin Luther. You know what he said to Melanchthon? He said, Philip, Philip, for God's sake, would you go out and screw something up? Would you go out and sin so you have something to repent of? I get that. I don't know why, because I'm a sweet fuzzball, but I get criticized a lot for what I do. But having walked with Christ longer than many of you have been alive, I have learned in a godly way to pray for those who criticize me. Oh God, give them the gift of drunkenness <laughs> in a public place, <laughs> surrounded by people they want to impress. And then, oh God, out of your love, give them a mother of a hangover. And when they get over their hangover, oh God, hug them. Because they need a hug more than anything else.
you've been to the seminars and they taught you the way you ought to pray, forget it. When Jesus was asked to teach his disciples to pray, they were expecting a course in prayer. He gave them a 13-second prayer. What's with that? Because he was trying to teach what I'm trying to teach. You don't have to get it right. Perfectionism and narcissism are the devil's ugly sisters. Do it wrong. Don't think of how to pray and saying the right thing. Just run to him and tell him what you think. And for God's sake, don't tell him you love him when you don't. We're going to talk about prayer. Most of us, because we say things like prayer works, we think of prayer where we can get stuff from God that we can't get anywhere else. And believe it or not, I'm not going to throw rocks at that. There have been times when I've been so scared I thought I was going to die. When my needs were so great and the darkness of my life plain outright scary. And I went to God and I prayed for stuff and sometimes he said yes. I go to him because who's going to love me the way he loves me or forgives me when, when I need forgiving and nobody else will forgive me? Who will never kick me out? And he wants to know just as I, a father and a grandfather, want to know from my children and from our grandchildren where it hurts. But that's not prayer. Prayer's different than that. I have a friend, my wife and I. She's in heaven now. And my wife won't let me use her name, but I'd like to. Her name I'm going to use is Mrs. Jones. And Mrs. Jones owned most of Maine. She had more money than God. And she attended our church And she looked like a homeless lady in tennis shoes. And every Sunday she'd come out with one of my books and she would say, Reverend Brown, we have got to get this out. And I would say, that makes me feel good. But only God decides that and I would shush her out the door. The next Sunday she'd have a CD or an album. She'd say, Reverend Brown, we have got to get this out. And I said, that is so nice for you to say that. But we have to leave that up to God. And I shished her out the door. That happened three or four weeks until the phone rang at the church manse and Mrs. Jones was on the other line. This is what she said. Reverend Brown, must I give you my credentials in order to talk to you? And I said, of course not. She said, well, I am. And then she started talking about the library she endowed at Harvard, the schools she had built all over the world, the library she had built at major university. She was the lady who built Labrie for Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer in Switzerland and later in New Hampshire for the American followers in Labrie. She went on. She talked about the scholarships she had funded, under her husband's name, her late husband, and she just went on. I'm just standing there and thinking, boy, you, are you sure? And then at the end, she said, now, Reverend Brown, what can I do for you? <laughs> Gosh, 
and I couldn't think of anything. Man, I'd rub the lantern and a genie just popped out and I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything to ask her. So, so I sent her to I sent her to a number of ministries. She gave a lot of money. She used to one time I I said to her, Miss Jones, I wish you were poor as a church mouse. I wish you didn't have two dimes to rub together because you don't know whether I like you because I like you or because I'm trying to get stuff out of you. And she humped. (laughs) She used to mix cranberry juice with water. That drove me nuts. Finally, I had to say something. I said, Mrs. Jones, you know you could afford to drink that straight. (laughs) In fact, you could afford to buy the whole stupid cranberry juice company and drink it out of their spout. And she said, I like it this way, so there. (laughs) One time uh, she'd cut her leg, 2 o'clock in the morning, it wouldn't heal. She wanted me to take her to the hospital. Have you ever been to the ER at 2 o'clock in the morning with somebody who looks homeless in tennis shoes? You talk about demeaning, it really is. For an hour and a half, they, you would have thought we weren't there. So finally, they called her name. And when they came and got her, took her through those swinging doors, I went up to the lady who was sitting behind the desk, and I said, read my lips. That woman you just demeaned has more money than God. She's got enough in her pocketbook to buy your stupid hospital and to fire you. And if I were you, I'd be nicer to her. And she said, thank you, sir. And she left and pretty soon doctors were coming out of the woodwork (laughs) all over the place. Mrs. Jones didn't have any friends because everybody she knew was trying to get something from, well, she had one. And that was my wife, Anna. When she tried to give Anna stuff, she would refuse it. She'd say, then you think I'd like you because you gave me stuff. They spent a month in China together, like two little girls, Mrs. Jones in her 80s, and Anna in those days in her 40s laughing and just being together because Mrs. Jones had found a friend. Ever think God thinks that? Of course he doesn't. Because he's bigger than that. But And, and we know that he's self-sufficient, so he doesn't have needs the way we have. But I sometimes think he looks at us and maybe something that's sort of like loneliness... Some of my best praying times have been in the morning when I sat down and said, I'm here. And I forgot how to praise and worship. I can't sing. And you've seen me dance. So I'm, if it's all right with you, I'm just going to sit here. And I sense his joy and his welcome and his delight. I can't stand Disney World. 
if I owned Disney and hell, I would live in hell and rent out Disney. I just want you to know. And I'm married to Ms. Disney, and I've got two daughters and three granddaughters who love Disney World. So I have that year-long pass, and I go out there with them, and I try not to screw it up for them, and I smile, but sometimes I just can't maintain it. And I was in, I, I was in Hollywood Studios the other day, and I was thinking, I can't stand this anymore. I'm going home. And I felt our youngest granddaughter stick her hand in mine. And she just leaned up against me, looked up and said, hi, pops. If it's all right with you, I'm just going to hang, hang with you for a while. And all of a sudden, I like Disney World. You ever think maybe God is like that? You probably don't notice that because you're too busy saying it right. Lying in the presence of the God of the universe. Defending yourself. Now let me give you three nevers. I just heard my stomach growl, so <laughs> be thankful. Lots of times I have five or six points. I only have three. I'm going to go through them fast and then we'll go eat. First is this. Never allow your negative experience with prayer to rob you of a walk with Jesus. We go to the prayer conferences and we get stirred up. We make all kinds of promises we don't fulfill. We get on our knees and then our knees hurt. We're going to give an hour to Jesus after all that he's done for us. And after five minutes, we prayed the Lord's Prayer eight times and the ten people we love the most four times and we don't know what to do with the rest of the time. So pretty soon, we do religious stuff. When I was a young pastor, I read that John Wesley got up at four every morning and I thought, that's the secret. I can do that. It lasted a week. I almost got cured when I fell asleep because, while somebody was telling me about they're going to commit suicide. <laughs> that's not a good thing to do doesn't make a good statement of compassion and love. And then I fell asleep in my own sermon. And I could and I can't sit through a session meeting of elders even when I'm refreshed. But I've if I've been up at four in the morning, it is miserable, and so I quit. I said, I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. I'm just gonna be religious. And I did that for ten years and I got convicted again. So I set the alarm clock at 4 o'clock in the morning, got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And again, went through that. I was falling asleep and everything. And I, and, and I even said yes to a man once and didn't even know what I said yes to. He was in my office telling me about his ministry, and frankly, he was boring as sand, and I just went to sleep. <laughs> Evidently, I didn't snore because he never noticed. And... Then, But I remember coming out of my nice nap and hearing him say, well, will you do it? And I thought, good Lord. (laughs) 
And I thought, I did what you would do. I said, of course I'll do it. I'm big, and he jumped up and hugged me. And I thought, good heavens, what have I done? And uh, I went to my secretary and said, who was that? And she got the giggles. And she said, I know what you did. You just said you were going to be on the board of his ministry. And you're stuck until Jesus returns. <laughs> you know, you get those experiences. You say, I am not a contemplative. I'm not a monk. I'm not a mystic. And so I ain't doing that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nod in God's direction. After all, I'm ordained. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to pray occasionally. And as a result, I lost for a while the most important time in my entire life. You didn't pray. You were doing religious stuff. You were following some dumb formula that somebody gave you. When I have a lawyer friend that said, the reason I can't pray is that I don't know the rules. And somebody just gave me a book, and I'm going to read that book, and now I'll have a prayer life like yours. And I said, it doesn't work that way. He said, I don't care. I just haven't known the rules. And I saw him two weeks later, and I said, how's your prayer life? He said, it stinks, and I burned that book. You should too. You've had a negative experience. It seemed so drawn out, it didn't work. God seemed to be in Bermuda on vacation. Don't let, that's a severe mercy. Don't let that keep you from him. Never, secondly, let a spurious theological view determine the relationship you have with God. Perspective determines response. You want to be hugged by Hitler? No. You want Donald Trump to hug you? How about Hillary? Wouldn't you like a big hug from Hillary? I could go on. Some people are just not huggable. <laughs> I was not making a political statement. Don't send me letters. The 14th chapter of Numbers is a wonderful chapter. That's where a group of young men are sent into the promised land to spy it out and to determine what God's people are going to do. And you're all familiar with that story. They come back and a majority report said in Hebrew, are you a fruitcake? Those are big mothers. They are mean and they fight. We shouldn't run into the promised land. We should run away from it, heels and elbows, as fast as we can run. And then the minority report said it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And if God delights in us, he will give it to us. They didn't believe that God delighted in them and it cost them 40 years in the wilderness. And it cost you the same thing. Let me tell you about the real God. He will never be angry at you. You know, when you go to a holy God and he is holy, 
if you've, if you've never stood before that God and been scared spitless, you're worshiping an idol. He's a, he's a God who is incredibly knowledgeable. And if you've never stood before him and been totally confused, you're worshiping an idol. But listen to me. If you've never stood before him and been hugged when you knew you didn't deserve it, you've been worshiping an idol. Perspective. And the scripture is clear because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. You've been welcomed. I have a pastor friend whom I love. I did a grace conference in his church recently. He's in the worst place in his city. And he's built a mega church out of ragamuffins. And he stood at the morning worship service where I preached. And this is what he said. If you are a sinner so bad that you don't think God can ever use you. If you're broken. If you're empty. If you're marginalized. If you've run away from God as fast as you can. Jesus says, welcome, welcome. God is your father. Doesn't matter if you do it right. He's your father. Run to him. And then finally, and I guess I could end here because I've already said it. Never let your sin and your shame keep you away from God. You know, if you've listened to R.C. Sproul's teaching on holiness, and that's some of the best teaching on holiness ever given in the church, but don't let that be your only teaching on theology. But if you've listened, it can cause you to do two things. Either you run or you lie. When you stand before a holy God and you're stripped naked and your darkness is standing out, you start making excuses. I'm trying to forgive them. And God says, no, child, you're not. You're holding on to your hatred. Well, I'm doing the best I can in being faithful. No, you're not. Quit telling me stuff that's not true. Or the drunk says when he asks his wife to pray for him, don't tell him I'm drunk. Tell him I'm sick. And so when you stand before a holy God, you want to lie. You want to defend yourself. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to defend yourself about anything? Or you turn and you run in the other direction. Remember the strange Nazarene hanging on spread eagles, on crossbeams, spread eagle between two thieves. You're covered. Run to Jesus. About five weeks ago, I went shooting. I have a Glock. Don't look surprised. Don't get angry because I know how to use it. I have a Ruger and I have a little SIG. And I shot all of them. We were out in the wilderness, 80 acres 
alligators and bears and wild pigs. But my friend, my former pastor, had been given an M1 from World War II. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that gun, but that is one big gun. And when you fire it, it sounds like, the, like an atomic bomb. I fired it, took my earphones off, and I'd lost my hearing. I'm still struggling with it. It did nerve them. They've given me steroids. Next week, they're going to shoot into my eardrum an injection. I said to the doctor, oh, no, you're not. And he said, it won't hurt. We'll give you a drop of anesthetic. And I said, could you give me two drops? But they, th they think maybe it'll get better. But right now, I can't hear you. I couldn't hear any of this worship. I smiled when you smiled. And I tried to look serious when you looked serious. But I didn't know what was going on. And not only that, every one of you sound like Donald Duck. And I've been praying it through. I said, God, if you love me, this wouldn't be happening. I didn't ask to do what I do, but people are my business. And if I can't hear people and I can't talk to people, what's with that? You don't love me. If you cared one whit, I wouldn't be going through this right now. And he said, you threw it. And I said, no, I'm just beginning. I got a bunch of other complaints I want to tell you about. And it did. And then in the quietness of my spent anger, he spoke, child, it's me. It's me. Uh, I found out stuff I probably wouldn't have seen without what I'm going through. I found, I found that I uh, manipulate people with words. I'm good with words. And I like control, so I manipulate people with words. And you can't manipulate them if you can't hear them. And when I get backed off, he said, child, it's me. And then I, I can't believe I'm telling you this. If you say I said it, I'll say you lied. I, uh, I like to be in the center of things. I thought I was a reasonably humble guy, but not me. I want to be in the center of everything because it's always about me. And I've seen it, and I've hated it, and I've repented of it, and I've backed off, and in the silence I could hear the laughter of the angels. And God said, it's me, child. It's me. And I've let go. And he was pleased, and I've confessed, and he hugged me, and now we dance. Uh, I'm about finished. Don't you hate it when a preacher says, and finally, and it's not finally at all? <laughs> I, uh, when Anna was out of town, a friend of mine called me and said, would you like to come over for dinner? And I said, I'd like that. He said, I'll, he said, I'll pick you up at the office. Just wait till I get there. So I waited and he picked me up. We went to his house, got out and went in the front door. And I was greeted in a wonderful way by his wife. 
but he had a little five-year-old daughter, and she didn't even notice me. She didn't even notice that I was there. You know what she did? She said, Daddy, Daddy, and jumped into his arms and said, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you what happened to me today. And he said, tell me. And she told him, and they both started laughing. And he said, that deserves a dance. <laughs> With me in the background, just watching, they start dancing all over the living room and into the dining room, giggling and laughing with him holding her in his arms. And as I watched, I saw all of life illustrates Bible doctrine. And I understood that, listen, if you're dancing with somebody who really loves you, it doesn't matter how well you dance. You think about that. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.